All right, and we're back. Ah, uh, yeah, no, nah, um, yeah, sorry about that. We had a no. bit of a we had a bit of a cut there. No. Um, I'm still getting used to setting up the system and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, this is a new laptop as well, so I'm still getting used to that. Yeah. Um, I only bought this laptop. It was like two days ago. Uh, so yeah, I'm still I'm still yeah. very much getting used no. to it. Uh, I would have used my old laptop, but the old laptop doesn't work with the system that I have now. No. But anyway, yeah, we're back. Uh, what were we talking about? Uh, when I started. Yeah, yeah. So when so when mm. you uh, you first started martial arts when you were 24, did you start with Taekwondo? Because I don't know if Hapkido would have been a very big thing back then. No, Hapkido at that time wasn't a real big thing. Um, at the time, it was more the uh, Kung Fu, Karate, mm. and the, the thing there. And Taekwondo, I didn't even hear, I didn't even know Taekwondo, what, what the heck it was, you know. Until I went and, and this is true, I went to see Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And to go in there and see what he'd done, I walked out and thought, oh, it was fantastic, you know, walking down the street. And I thought, thought to myself, hang on, I can't fight with those paper bags. Mm. I said, I've got to learn something, you know, learn some martial arts. And went to work, I was talking to a mate of mine, he says, oh, he went to a Kung Fu. And um, he said, that is a school in, in the city, Melbourne Taekwondo Center. I said, give that. So I went there, I looked at and went on with it. I've gone there five days a week. I really enjoyed it. I loved the, the head instructor at the time, Jack Kozlinski. He's still going today and he's been doing well. He's one of the, he was the first black belt in Taekwondo in Australia at the time, you know. He's really, really a lovely bloke, you know. And I just enjoyed the company of the Taekwondo, all the black belts and the people there. They were really fantastic, you know. And then, um, I was there with him for nearly, I think, 10 years or something like that, and then ended up getting married, and my wife, for some unknown reason, kept on having kids, so I had to stop for a while. Unknown reason. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she kept on having uh, having the kids, and then when, when they were a certain age, I got back, a mate of mine, Harry Byron, he, he was, um, he opened it up, and because I was his first instructor, he went on with it, and I stopped, and, um, he asked me, he invited me around for his, one of his first gradings and I went there and went like that and I, because he was second down at the time, I was still only first down. And I said to him, he, he, I said, do you mind if I um, join up? He was a bit sceptic at first because a lot of his friends were saying, oh, you don't want to take over because you've been first. And I looked at it this way, because I stopped, I can't expect him. He went on, he's second down, I was only first down. I can't expect him to sort of put me above the pedestal. So he was always, I always looked up to him as a head instructor, which he was. Because mm. he was a second man. That's the way I've always based it. So by the time you started, what was this, the 70s? Yeah, it was in the late 70s. Because I know in the in the 70s, uh, even the 60s, it was sort of those, uh, well, when did Elvis Presley die? Because you know Elvis Presley, he did karate. and if He you, actually done taekwondo. He did taekwondo. Well, that, that's where a lot of people come undone. They say karate, kung fu, it's easy, but a lot of like Chuck Norris, seven times karate champion, right? That was taekwondo. It's not karate. Right. Oh. Uh, that's where a lot of people, they, they say oh, karate, because mm. that reminds you, one day one, Jack asked one of the students, he said, um, said oh, what style are you doing? The young kid says, oh, do karate. Don't do karate! We do taekwondo! You know? <laughs> because at that time, he was trying to get started with uh, Taekwondo, trying mm. to get it up. And to go and call it karate was a, sort of an insult mm. because 
there was a Korean martial art and a Japanese. And that's where a lot of the people, they just say, oh, karate, Elvis don't karate. But you have a look at the uniform, it's a Taekwondo uniform. And you'll, I think if you look into it, his, um, his black belt that taught him was uh, Taekwondo, but they just said karate. What makes you think they were saying karate over Taekwondo? Was was there more, was karate just more of the popular thing back it was then? popular so- at the time. Taekwondo was hard to pronounce, you know, which is easy. Karate is Taekwondo. Mm. And because it's a new one, no one knows what it is, you know? Mm. And that's why you know, karate got a big name in those days. There's still cups today. Mm. You know, like when I was teaching, the kids would say, what are you doing? No, I was doing karate for now. We do taekwondo. You know, it's the easiest way out mm. to say uh, karate. Have you ever seen some of the old videos of Elvis doing uh, taekwondo or karate? There was, there's a part of me that thinks he was sort of taking uh, the piss out of it sometimes. No, because he, he sort of didn't go through. It was an honorary black belt. Mm. And you get a lot of people different because they do a movie or something like that. Like um, Tom Cruise, he's done the Samurai. Mm. He's never done He's never done any of the gradients. He's done that for six months because he had a black belt teaching him what to do, how to do it and go through it. Mm. And that's where a lot of them come through. Then Elvis, you'll find, is, is an honorary black belt. But he done what he, he thought he could do. Mm. And he was so high, who's going to come up and say, hey, you're not doing it properly. Do it like this. Mm. They're going, yeah, no, that's good. That's the Elvis person. Mm. And everyone admires Elvis person until today. Mm. I admire it. You mm. haven't seen him from the Bendigo. You know? I never watched that. How was it? That was good. That, that was, I had loved the movie. That's where all these... Uh, uniforms and these clothing photographs, different things of him that he wore. Oh, right. No, I was, I was thinking the movie. I never actually saw the movie. No, I haven't seen that yet. Well, I'm planning on going to see it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it should, should be good. Um, I know, especially, it was probably Bruce Lee, I'd say, that was the real uh, pivotal point of where martial arts really took off. Yeah, he kicked butt. Yeah. Um, like, as you know, back in the day, I was a big fan of Steven Seagal. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, not so, not, I'm not really, I respect what he's done. I 100% respect what he's done, especially like, look, he went to, uh, where did he go? I think it was Japan. He went to, J- he went to Japan. You know, they, the story goes, they wouldn't let him in the dojo. He had to sleep outside. Um, and they eventually grew respect for him, brought him in, taught him, and then he brought it here. Uh, not here, Australia, there, America, like sort mm-hmm. of the, the, the West side. Yeah. And started his own dojo, did very well for himself. Now, what he what he started to do after that in terms of him as a person, well, I don't know if you've heard the stories. There's, there's a lot of dark stories there. Yeah. But look, I'll, I'll always respect what he did because to go through to go through that, that's 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 a big commitment. That's a really big commitment. And so he obviously obviously at the time he was probably a very different person and a very he probably had very humble beginnings, but maybe maybe it was just Hollywood that got to him because I do think that Hollywood is a bit of a toxic environment, mm. especially when you got you know a thousand people around you telling telling you how good you are. You're eventually yeah. you're eventually going to believe it, and it just took him a little too high. But I think that, that with Steven Seagal, I loved his Under Siege and his early films were fantastic. Mm. But then his later ones, where he'd get a samurai sword and just slice the living daylights out of someone, cut him up and do all this. Mm. And then it just got so violent, so mm. nasty. Mm. And you say that, well, what, what 
have met the likes of Jackie Chan. Mm. He would have went through worse. Mm. He comes from hard citizenship. He was brought up in, uh, like he's Australian citizen. <clears throat> when he when he was um, in in China, mm. there was no work. He come here to Australia because he became an Australian citizen, and that's where he got his name from. Did he actually but, become an Australian citizen? Yeah, was, really. Because his mum and dad used to live in Canberra. <clears throat> wow, you know, and that's where he got his name from, Jackie Chan, because he was working on building something. I said, "Oh, what's your name?" He told me, "He says, I will just call you Jackie." And that's where he got his name, Jackie Chan. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> from um, coming in. But he went through through the lot. You didn't see him go through all that. No. And it would have been harder because he was a stuntman, director, mm. writer, produced the whole thing. Mm. What did Stephen Seagal? I admire Stephen Seagal in his earliest days. But near the end there, I think he's, the uh, plane went to his head. Yeah, that happens, that happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, that's why I say Hollywood can be a very toxic environment. Mm. Um. As you were talking about his later movies, you, you can even see he stopped caring because uh, mm. in, in a lot of the moves that he was doing, it didn't. It doesn't even look like something that would even work. Yeah. That brings me to something else. So obviously, I studied hip keto with you. Mm-hmm. That was the first martial arts that I learned, and um, I'm I'm a big watcher of uh, like UFC and stuff. If if you took like someone like a young Steven Seagal, probably the top of the tier in terms of Aikido and all that. Would you could you actually see it working in that type of environment where you got grade A wrestlers, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Muay Thai people, you know, people that are pretty much trained killers? Mm. Do you reckon he would have survived in that type of environment if it was back in the eighties? Well, it's sort of hard to sort of put to because you get that in them eras with what they do in UFC and that that's in the ring. In the street it's a totally different thing altogether. You can't do a lot of the stuff there. You've got a matter of seconds to even to, to survive, mm. you know, because you don't go and grab on gun and then break. You've got mm. no one to break you up. Mm. You've got to fight and use whatever you can mm. to defend yourself. Mm. And you really can't compare that. But in Steven Seagal doing in the in the ring, he he could do it, yeah, because he didn't do just um Akita, mm. he's another another company. You'll find all these different stars done several different styles of martial arts, you know. Mm. And like Jackie Chan, he done about three or four. And uh, Bruce Lee done he five, he four, and he made his own. Mm. Mm. But the street is a totally different thing than in in the in the ring. Mm. Yeah, that's why I've always said to my students, I would love them to get into the ring and have a fight. Mm. because the nerves is one of the biggest things in the killer. Mm. That's where, you know, if you freeze, you've gone. We're getting into a fight, even though it's controlled, just the nerves of that person come up. I can still remember today my first fight I had as a yellow belt was in Pakapanyu in the army barracks. And I could see the guy, but I couldn't see anyone. And we had about 50 students there. I couldn't see one person. I can see is that that person in front of me mm. and all the fights I've ever had is always see the person in front but you can't see you can hear the crowd you can hear them cheering and carrying on but you can't see anyone mm. yeah. and that's the thing about when you match different styles and that they say kung fu and judo jiu-jitsu in the in the environment that they do the um the uh what's the name fighting thing 
building the street is totally different. Mm. You know, you can't. A lot of that just goes down the drain. You know. Yeah, um, I, I get, I get the whole thing of uh, matching styles. Uh, what I was, what I was more trying to say is, if you took, uh, just say Aikido mm-hmm. or uh, Hap Keto, and you, and let's just say you, you put it in the ring, if you're, uh, would you say it would work in a UFC environment, or, or would you say you'd have to add on top of it? Like for example, if you took Hap Keto or Aikido, and you put someone like that in the ring with just say someone who, who, who trains MMA. So like uh Muay Thai, mm. you know, wrestling, Brazilian mm. Jiu Jitsu, would you say it'd be a bit of a struggle for a style like Hapkido? Would you say Hapkido is more advantageous against someone in a self-defense position? Like for example, if, if you're in a bar, someone grabs you type of thing, would you say it's more valuable, valuable in that type of situation than it would be in just say a ufc ring where someone is literally uh, the highest of the high elite in all of their fields if that makes sense would you say it would that have less of a chance against someone like that and would you say it's, it's more of a martial arts to defend against someone who's just trying to attack you because the, most of the time people who are just trying to attack you they don't know what they're doing they're not mm. they're not trained fighters that most likely they're they're drunk most likely they um have no fight experience in the background whatsoever mm. would you say it's more to fight against someone like that rather than someone who's a pretty much trained killer well yeah what you're saying is basically the martial arts is fighting against someone who doesn't know how to fight mm. but when you get two people that know how to fight that's a different thing altogether because you've got two different styles and I think a lot of it depends on the person that's fighting mm. because you can have the best martial arts in the world and the worst one and you can have that one guy who takes up the worst one and the guy who does the best one can be lousy. Mm. So it's a, it's a to, to put like the MA fighting that they do, they're the top of the elite. They've got judo, like... Uh, Brazilian judo used to always win. When they first brought that in, when it first come, used to go for two to three hours, mm. the fights. They, can you imagine sitting there for two to three hours watching this guy? Because um, what Grace Jones was the founder of it, and he's the way he got it. And he used to just wear him down because he just grabbed a hold of him. You yeah. know, they, they can go around the whole body and stuff. Like he was that. a bear, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's why they had to break it down because they wanted people to go in there to watch him. And to sit there for three hours, no one's going to do that. Mm. Yeah, they pay big money to do that. So that's why they put their rules in. That's why Grace Jones, as great as he, he, he is, you know, his style couldn't, couldn't do it anymore because mm. of that um, that reason. That's why they had to change to put time time um, on it. Yeah, you have three minutes and then you've got to change it around. Mm. You know? So it's... Uh, it's a pretty brutal sport, that you know. I don't really, personally, I don't really like watching that. I like mm. to watch a good taekwondo fight, so long as they're they're, they're fighting and kicking, mm. not when they're just sort of trying to get someone or you get a good karate match and stuff like this, you know, mm. and kung fu and stuff. But um, in the street, it's totally different kettle of fish altogether, you know. It's a matter of luck or who, who can think the quickest. So you were saying your first fight was back when in a yellow belt. How many fights did you have? Well, going from the yellow belt up to to black belt, I'd fight 
every village in Southport, yellow, blue, red, and black. In the, when I got into black belt, I'm not that I was the greatest fighter, I just wanted to go into the calming nerves, get the nerves down. Yeah. Yeah. So if I get in there under pressure, I can handle it because when I heard of one, one of my mates that I used to train with, he hit us into a fight and the guy broke the bottle and he just froze. He was a red belt, Taekwondo, and he just froze. And he was in between two containers. When he got out in the open, the guy started, he started using his leg. Well, that guy didn't know how to use the glass and he was able to kick the, the, the glass out of his hand and, and beat him. Mm. But that's why I always went in there just to, get, to try to calm the nerves because when I was young, I was very nervous, very shy, very timid and all this. And that sort of brought me out into um, doing the Taekwondo and I was glad I was done it. What made you stop fighting? Well, well, I always kept on fighting. You know, mm. but when I when I done the hips mm. and the age didn't help much. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, father time waits for no man, as they That's say. Right, yeah. yeah uh, unfortunately, it's <laughs> time's gone so quick since I last saw you. I mean, yeah. l- last time I saw you, I didn't have didn't even have my own car. I was riding a bike uh, mm. to your yeah. dojo every day, and now I've got my own car and a kid along the way. So, what's <laughs> changed? Um. I remember you telling me uh, a long time ago, even when uh, Master Ely, when, when he used to train, you know, he used to get thrown on concrete. And, mm. and, and that's the whole idea of being thrown on concrete. It's so scary. Well, it does come in handy because a couple of times I've, I've been running and my shoelaces come undone and I've tripped. I've done a full roll on that and got up and kept on running. Mm. I didn't look back to see if anyone was mm. watching. Another time I was at work, I used to ride my bike from my work to my wife's work, mm. and the wheel come off, and I went flip over off my bike. Now, you know, you get a normal 27-inch bike, you come off, that's a fair distance. I come down, bang, onto the concrete. My workmates were coming down the step, they thought, hello, here's a hospital job. Yeah, they'd have me bruised, because that's what you train your body to do. You train how to sort of to fall over. Mm. You don't do it straight away on concrete, Mm. Once you know how to do it, you, you feel confident that you can do it on concrete. Mm. But over the years, you can't do it all the time. No, no, you can't. Um, it, especially like even though uh, the brake falls and forward rolls and back rolls and all that are taught to you purely out of a, uh, when you're going through the movements of being thrown and learning how to brake fall and forward roll and all that, that's mm. predominantly what it's meant to be used for. Mm. But as you as you said, it can be used in day to day life if you fall over. When you train enough through it, it becomes like second habit, second nature. My um, my dad he used to know this guy who was in the military, and um, he was in the military for a long time, and uh, it got to the point where he um, well, last time my dad spoke about him, it's been many years now since my dad spoke about him, but um, my dad was telling me he uh, he ended up getting uh, like a form of PTSD. And you couldn't, um, because he was such a highly trained guy. He, he didn't like it when people walked behind him. Mm. Like if he, if, even if he knew you, if he, if if you were walking behind him, he didn't like it. Mm. There was that. He was. It was almost like he was always ready for a fight. Mm. And a guy like that, you you wouldn't want something like that happening. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> he he um he used to, he competed a couple of times, and um he. I remember I only met him once. I remember him telling me that during the competitions, it was hard to take. 
even though it's only a competition, it was hard to take that killer instinct out of him. You're not there to really smash the guy. You're there to win, but not sm- mm. But it was hard to take it out of him too. Yeah. That that's that's one issue he had, and um, it it it's I, I could um I could see where he's coming from when you when you was telling me that story. Well, it's the same as what I I've t- told all my students. I even done the same to you. I got a ball and I threw it to you. Mm. Straight away, you caught it. And I said to you, why'd you catch it for? He said, oh, natural instinct. And that's what it's all about. That's why he was trained, because he went through the hard thing. And he goes, and I remember when I was going through my brains with Jack Rosinski and the color belt, every time we're pre-fighting with Jack, if you go behind him, he, he, would, he would stop. He said, don't come behind me. Because what, what he used to do when he was going, going through these things, they used to go to the wharf because he, he was, well, it doesn't exist anymore, silver top taxi karate thing, I think it is. They used to go to the wharf and any of the sailors come out would challenge them. Said, oh, you do karate, you do kung fu that, and bring it, and they'd go through that and they'd be fighting in the street. Not not upset, not a, trying to tone their um, reflexes, get their skills up. Mm. And that's a hard way to do it. And that's what Jack, he went through, mm. you know. What we do now is nothing to what like Jack, the likes of Jack Rosinski and Master Lee and all this, you know, mm. they went through the hard game. You talk about how different it is now compared to the way it is back then. Obviously, you have some idea because you started back in the 70s. Yeah. What would you say is the difference from martial arts back then to today in terms of not just learning, but also, you know, sparring and fighting, uh, fighting, sorry, and just the mentality of people, because I feel like the mentality of people back then would be a lot different than it is today. Yeah, well, well these days you've got a lot more people who've learned martial arts with so many different styles of martial arts. Yeah. But in them days, the equipment, we had no equipment in them days, you know. I've got a, I think I've shown you my, the original shield. It just looked like cardboard compared to the shield they've got now that's a lot thicker and all that. In, in them days, when we'd be in a, in a hall having a fight, we'd have sticky tape as a ring. Now they have jigsaw mats. Mm. They, um, they, you'd have the groin guard, mouth guard. That's it. No hand guards or nothing like that. And I was talking to one black belt who, who actually done it before, and I said, oh, it's a bit different now. He said, yeah, when I was doing it, they had no shields at all. Mm. So you imagine when they first started, there was no shields, no groin guards, no mouth guards, just went hammer and tongs. Mm. So it just shows you the big difference. Just like Aussie rules. You have a look at all the equipment they've got these days. When my eldest brother was playing in the 60s, they had nothing. Mm. They didn't even have hot showers. Mm. After the footy, they go and have a cold shower. Then go and have a meat pie and a beer. Mm. Have a bad life. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But that's the way it was. In them days, it's totally different. So all the technology now is way ahead of what, what it was. When, when I started, and I started good, mm. when the likes of Jack Rosinski, Master Lee and that, would have been, um, you know, been all the other Korean instructors and that. They would have met with, especially the Koreans and stuff, Yu Lo and Mr. No and Mr. Chow and all that. They were all in Korea. They'd be out in the snow in factories, running up and down, none of their gigs or mats and stuff like that. You mm. know, it was unbelievable. A lot of people, especially, I find it's an older generation thing look i find myself doing it sometimes too where even though i'm only 28 a lot of people always like to talk how much better it was like oh it was so much better back then so much better back then 
in in day to day life, maybe maybe it's just the people that are changing. Maybe that's what a lot of people miss. But in terms of technology, safety, everything like that, I think I think it's better. I mean, as as you as you, as you were saying, you know, Master League used to get thrown on concrete. Used to get thrown on pretty much was concrete or a thin, mm. little thin layer. It's um, that that's probably one of the reasons you got your hip replacements today, and that's mm. and it's one of the reasons people who train today won't have it by the time they're your age because they're getting thrown on things that are a bit thicker. Mm. It, a lot of people used to say, "Yeah, people were tougher back then." It, it's because they had to be. They no they choice. had they had no to take choice. they had no choice. I mean, it's either you get thrown on pretty much concrete, or you're not training at all. Yeah, you're pretty much training on the ground with with, with no mat between you and the uh, the surface, or you don't train at all. Whereas today, you would much rather if you gave the option to people back then of training on a mat, that they'd, they'd take it. One hundred percent, they would take it. Yeah. Why, why would they? They're not choosing to train on concrete. They have no choice. But I, I will admit, with with Jack Wazinski, when he had he he had this one big square mat for us to practice the rolls. Mm. But I'm talking about when you're free fight and you fall, you're going down on concrete. So that's why it's important to learn how to. But every time I taught someone, and I think you even you even one of them when you went down, you go down with the elbow, where you've got to keep down extended, mm. so you don't smash your elbows. Otherwise, you never never do it. But Jackie did have this. Um, uh, some of his students got together and made it for him. And I tell you, when we had to shift, it was weighed a ton. You had to, to get it, but it was it saved us a lot. You know, to do the rolls, and that's where a lot of a lot of styles don't do the rolls and that mm. because they just haven't got the equipment. It's one of the best things to, to know how to break for. Getting back to when you used to fight, um, was there ever a time where you were? watching a fight or in a fight where a, a KO happened not by not 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 uh because they were trying to knock the other person out it, it happened and it kind of freaked you out a bit because I've seen I've seen knockouts in fights where the person will drop and you know they'll they'll start shaking they'll go stiff and it's a very um uh it's a very eye-opening moment where you think to yourself this is one of the reasons I don't want to fight because I don't want this to happen to me or anyone else. And, you know, you, you can avoid it by not competing, but then also there's that street value as well where you will... I think that's why a lot of fighters who train uh, who train in, in, any, in any martial art, no matter what it is, will try and avoid a fight out in the street no matter what because they know the consequences of it, because they've seen these sort of things and they know how dangerous it is, whereas people who do not know how to fight they just think oh yeah i'll just hit this guy he'll drop he'll get up later whereas Mm. there's a chance they don't think he might not Mm. especially if they're intoxicated if they're intoxicated that makes it even worse i'm not talking the person who got knocked out i'm talking the person who throws the punch Mm. they'll hit someone and just walk off and you know think Mm. think they're some sort of legend but then they could have just killed someone and what really scares me even if i had to defend myself and let's just say hypothetically if I did uh, defend myself, hit the person they drove, let's just let's just hypothetically say they died. Even doing it, defending myself, mm. I'm thinking about what I've just taken away from that person, yeah. and what I've taken away from their family, and mm. that's what hits me even deeper. And that's why I'd like to avoid it. I, I'd much rather run. 
I'd much rather run if yeah. I can. Yeah. Well, but this is it. I've, I've always said to people, you know, if you ever see me running, you know, this is my students when I was, when I was teaching, if you ever see me run, it's not run because I'm scared. I'm running because if something happens, I don't get, I don't be in jail because of one silly incident, mm. you know. And this is the whole thing. A lot of people, and like as you said before, you know, was I worried about things like when you see knockouts? Of course, that's one of the reasons why I learned martial arts to defend myself. When I was doing just taekwondo, I thought that's not going to be any good in a fight because if you get someone who doesn't know how to fight and I start kicking in the legs, I'm going to be a real mongrel. Look at that mongrel he's using his legs. Whereas that's why we learned Hapkido, yeah, to do that, to learn the hand thing. And then we went along and learned armies. And that's another good martial arts where you don't have to learn how to kick, you can get your hands and all this, learn how to take people down, lock them up in there. Mm. But, it's a, but, but when you get someone to um, think about knocking them out, you, do, you don't like to see it happen, they get killed. It's got to be on you, but you've got to look this way, it's either him or you. Mm. And which would you prefer? Mm. You don't want don't want that to happen. That's why I've never been into, into a fight in my life. I would love to. Street-wise. Yeah, street-wise. I'd love to just to see how I'd handle myself, but I'm not interested. I'd rather run. Mm. These days I can't run too good. But, uh, but it's good to know that you can defend yourself. But to see someone go down, it's not a very nice thing. But you've got to think, is it you or them? Did you see any of that type of thing when you were coming up during competitions and stuff? So I've seen, oh yeah, I've seen well, I was, um, I was um, coaching one, one young kid who, who was um, went into a fight, in a taekwondo fight, and the first round he, he felt all right, he was limping. I said, do you want to go back out? And I'm a great believer, if a kid says no, he doesn't want to go out, you don't send him out. Mm. Yeah, I've seen coaches forcing kids back out there, and I don't like that. Mm. Yeah, because if a kid says, because the kids who want to fight, not you, you're sitting back there in the chair being comfortable, he's going to go out and get all the kicks and punches. Don't disrespect the Cobra Kai gym, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. And the, the, he come back limp and I said, do you want to go back out? You sure? He said, yeah. He went back out, he got knocked out in about 15 seconds, you know. You're really good kid and all this, you know, really, really nice and all that. But these are the things, and I had one of my students in Sydney, he was, he was injured again. The, the doctor called me in and said, oh, do you want him to go on? I asked him, he said, do you want to fight or do you want to stop? So I want to fight. If he'd have said I want to stop, oh, but that would have been it. Mm. But I've seen coaches there forcing the kids to go back out. Mm. Even that one coach, his kid got kicked in the head. He said, what do you want to do? He said, what do you mean? He said, do you want to fight or do you want to stop? I said, I want to stop. Not what I wanted to hear. And that, that really knocked me, eh? Mm. To have say to a 15-year-old kid, it's not what I wanted to hear. Mm. That kid's out there fighting, doing his best. Mm. If he doesn't want to fight, I, didn't, I even told my, kid, my students that were going there, because when they're about to walk out, you don't want to go, you don't go. Mm. And I would have, stopped, I would, would have been proud of them. Because you, it takes a lot of guts and determination just to get up there and actually go in and fight. You know? Do you think it's also a gender thing? Like, obviously, there's that stigma of, you know, come on, man up. You get out there. You, well, it's how, how you put it. If you want to do it like that, yeah, you can. But I just want them to get the confidence to get mm. the nerve because when mm. you're out in a real fight, it's totally different than in a club fight. Mm. I had one, I know if you've ever seen her, Tanya. She's a little uh, Vietnamese um, tiger. She's a little tiger. In the club, 
Like I had these two blue belts come in from, from another club they trained. Tanya, she was only a yellow belt, bought one of them. She's a big girl. And look, the, the, the other girl was a big girl compared to Tanya. Tanya was only a little poncho. Mm. And she goes in, the mother, Colin Wood, come up and he says, Oh, could you please not have Tanya fight, um, fight her daughter because she hurt them? Keep in sight, I was ref because little Tanya, yellow belt, mm. he was a blue belt. And it was the way that they were taught their, their taekwondo skills. Mm. But I was really, but when Tanya actually went into a real competition in in, in, in the city, mm. she was used to because she wasn't used to fighting outside the club. In the club, she was all oh, really good. Outside, she was innocent. Another guy I trained years ago, I trained with years ago when I was going through the color belts, I was just got the old red belt. This guy would fight. The black belt, he was a red belt. And he'd knock them all around the joint. Mm. After the class, he was doing push-ups on his thumbs and we're all going like that, nearly getting our, our seats. And he's doing all this. When he had his first competition, you could have beat him. He was useless. Nerves. Because he was so used to fighting in the club. So mm. come to outside, it was a totally different thing. Mm. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do all the fights that I've done. You know, I fought all around Australia. I fought in... Adelaide, Tassie, Melbourne, of course, Sydney, Brisbane, Cairns. I fought, fought all around the different um, fields of fighting, in Hapkido, done demonstrations, just to overcome the nerves, get the nerves. Did you uh, go international? Uh, we, we, uh, yeah, we went international in a demonstration. It was in the uh, Korean um, the, the second ta- Taekwondo Championship in a place called Chuchong. Mm. We uh, come away with a silver medal mm. in that sort of demonstration that was in over in Korea. How long ago was this? That was two thousand and one. Okay, yeah. Um, so that was this South Korea that you went to? Yeah, South Korea. We can go to North. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, I only asked just because. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Did you say it was Taekwondo? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if Taekwondo is uh, taught in both North and South. I'm, I'm not oh, too yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. national sport, just like over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you when you went when you went there, because it was back in 2001, uh, did you uh, feel a bit more pressure in term, just because you're in this country where it was invented, and now you've got to show what you can do in front of these people who to them it, it, as you said it's like our afl mm. did you feel a bit more pressure no when was in korea you couldn't ask for nicer people they were fantastic right mm. from there the minute we landed there until we left not, not one korean would would be treated us bad you know even when we got lost they would actually take us to where we wanted to go and all that mm. but in the competitions because there was about 30 odd countries mm. competing we never felt any any no disrespect, no, never look down on us at all. Mm. Yeah, they're all fantastic. No, I'm not saying uh, disrespect-wise. I'm saying, um, like, for example, if someone was to come from, uh, to say, another country to Australia to play AFL, because mm. it's our national sport, maybe they feel a bit more pressure to compete in front of people that love it so much. Mm. I'm saying, did you feel pressure on you in that regard, going like taking something that's their national sport where you did it over here, took it there and had to show what you could do? Did you feel pressure that way? No. no the, the, the Koreans made us feel comfortable. 
when you go over there, because I know what you mean, you know, you come here and think, oh, man, you're doing asthma. They were glad to see us. They loved us to be there. Mm. You know, they really enjoyed it and what we done, you know. The, uh, we had, on our team, we had one of the oldest competitors. Mm. And they had the cameras after him, interviewing him about, oh, you know, why you do this. They, they, they enjoyed our company over there. They, they just loved it, mm. you know. They didn't sort of look down on us or anything. The creams were fantastic, you know. Mm. I, I can't make one bad uh, comment. Uh, I said to uh, one lot of people there, I said, if I had another country to go to, Korea would be the one because they were fantastic. Korean barbecue is amazing too. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they were, I can't say nothing bad about the Koreans. Mm. Yeah. The whole time we were only there for two weeks, mm. but it was fantastic. Yeah. Never treated us like dirt. That you always respect, mm. and that you can't ask any more than that. So you went back there in two thousand and one. How long ago is that now? That's what 20, 21 years ago now. Jeez, time flies. Um, was there? When you were training in uh, martial arts, was there ever a time where you wanted to try something else outside of? Uh, so obviously you did Taekwondo, Hapkido, and Wuchi, which is uh, very much Korean based. Was there a time when you were younger you wanted to try something else, but just never got the chance? No, always interested. But as I said, when I was much younger, you know, mm. dancing in teams, and you know, I was very shy, intimidated. Mm. You know, weren't sure mm. of um, what I was doing. You know, I was always mm. just done done the thing. And, but when I when I started up with uh, Taekwondo and that, after I, now I realised doing um, Taekwondo using your feet, mm. not much of the hands, you know. Mm. But that's why I was thinking about learning judo or jiu-jitsu or that. But mm. when when I was training with Billy, he found Master Lee, and uh, we found he was in Sydney, mm. and um, we we just went to that and it's fantastic. I guess when you were younger as well, um, stuff like you know Muay Thai. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, amateur wrestling, uh, you know, uh, there's stuff called Sambo, uh, Judo. All that wasn't really well known back then. It was really. it was mainly karate. Like that's what, that as you said, Taekwondo, but that's what people knew it as was uh, karate. Karate or Kung Fu. Yeah, and, and, and it was probably those two that were so popular here over in the West that all these other, well, they're big now, but they would have been very little over here yeah, back then. I guess that's why you probably, do you reckon that would have been one of the reasons you never really thought about doing those other things? Yeah, well, that's right, because I didn't know nothing about it. Mm. You know? My education wasn't really up there mm. to sort of read up and stuff like that, you know. Mm. I had a very poor education mm. growing up, you know. Mm. But um, <clears throat> I didn't let that stop me from doing a lot of things, you know. But, yeah, that that would have been the, the thing with the, um, with the martial arts, yeah. All we knew was Kung Fu, Karate. Mm. Karate was the, the, the big thing, and boxing. Mm. Those are the main things that they're the physical sports, you know. Yeah, boxing's very much dropped off these days. Um, mm. it, back in, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, mm. maybe even, you know, early 90s, it was probably the biggest sport around. You, yeah, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't get it. What was it? I think Muhammad Ali was the 60s, a uh, bit in the 70s, and you had Tyson in the 80s and early 90s. Mm. So those two, those two guys, like in that that bulk of what what's that 30 years mm. boxing was at its biggest as yeah. now it's i don't know i think i think it's died off a lot it, it really has yeah i think my time well that's taken over from that mm. because people are getting sick of just two guys there but now with my time you can come down and bell and liam and mm. do all those other things more um 
more thrilling for a lot of people. Mm. But yeah, going up, we had the likes of Lionel Rose, Johnny Famishon, uh, Lester Ellis, and uh, Barry Michaels, and that mm. they they were keeping the uh, Australian boxing scene into it. You know, because mm. they all become world champions, mm. and they were some of our greatest uh, boxers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, going back earlier, you had um, he's not Australian, but Rocky Marciano. Um, he's he was uh probably one of the biggest names. I think he what was he? He was more. I'm not too good with my timelines. He what was he? Forties. He, he was. I know he was a bit yeah, early. About 50, yeah, about. I'm not really up to boxing that much. Yeah. Uh, what was it like growing up in uh your generation? Like, for example, obviously, not really many people knew how to fight. But here you're coming up, learning something, especially in the 70s when you were learning it. Did you feel a lot more people, especially back then, were trying to pick at you a bit more because you knew something? No, it's, it's, they didn't really pick. You had the ones that stood over people, you know, little, the little tough guys that think they knew, knew everything. But I just want to get a bit of confidence within yourself. You know, mm. I just wanted something to sort of make me feel safe walking down the street, you know, because... Before I'd seen Enter the Dragon, mm. I used to sort of be, be intimidated with that. But now I know martial arts, I can feel more confident walking mm. down the street. Mm. Not that I go you know, um, pushing through people and stuff mm. like that. I still always give people respect in that. But um, no, I, I, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I've learned the martial arts is to build my confidence up. So if I do get into a fight, I'm hoping I can handle myself. Mm. But as I said earlier, I want to get into a fight, but I don't want to. Mm. I just want to see if I can handle the stuff. But I think it's I've done it a lot because Master Lee said to us one time, he said, if you get into a fight and you can walk away without fighting, you won. Mm. And I thought that was a very good um, thing to be said, you know. Because if you get into a fight and you knock him down, he reckons you've lost mm. because you have to fight your way out of it. And to try to get out without fighting is a very good um, mm. way of doing it. Well, as you just said, uh, that word respect, I think no matter what martial arts you're a practitioner of, that's something it'll bring you. If, if you don't have it walking into the gym, you'll definitely have it walking out and it's something that sticks with you. It's before walking into the dojo, most people don't really have the amount of respect that they do walking out especially once you've been doing it a long time you'll notice that people who have been training any form of martial arts for a long period of time the respect they show for other people especially mm. people that are training within the dojo or whatever what it doesn't matter what martial arts they're doing they show so much respect um it, it's before i started martial arts it, look it might have been because i was very young i was only 14 when mm. i started you know, your, your hormones are freaking they're, they're, they're <laughs> through the roof. Mm. Um, you know, I walked in thinking I was a bit of a, a like, you know, tough guy, as most young teenagers do. But uh, one thing I remember you said to me once was, um, if I ever see you using this martial arts outside the gym without, to, without if it's not defending yourself, if it's a showboat, I'll be your next opponent. <laughs> that's yeah. the crap out. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I wanted them to use it for self-defense, mm. what it's all about. Not to brag and bing up people, mm. you know. And I've said that to many, all my students, mm. you know. If ever see you use an app in the street, I'm the next one in line. Mm. You know? And I think it's worked so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, going back to your uh, injuries, uh, 
Is it just the one that you've had replaced? No, my knee, yeah. Just the one? Just the one so far. Yeah. And I've had the two hips done. Because you've had that one knee done and both hips, are they expecting uh, the other knee to eventually... Because you might be favouring that... Look, I'm, I'm a medical yeah. doctor, I don't know. Do you favour that knee a lot now? Well, now that... Yeah, at first I was when I had the operation, yeah. Mm. But I've just got to take it easy. It's both... Both knees mm. as we go along, I try not to stand around too much, or, mm. you know. Mm. But it's it's like anything else, you know. When's the arms going to go? When's your, you know, mm. your back going to go and stuff? Mm. You just don't know. You just got to look after yourself, try to do the right thing, and take care of yourself. What's your rehabilitation like after you had the surgery? It was different. The knee was different than the hips. When I had the hips done, mm. I thought they need a piece of cake. And the doctor, he looked at me, he sort of just shook his head, and I was saying. You don't know nothing yet. And I realised what he was going off with the knee and it takes a lot more um, pressure because you've got to stand up with your hip. Mm. You got, it's, you've got the other leg to de- depend on. Mm. Where your knee, it's it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder, the knee recreating from it mm. than what it was the, the hips. What did the doctor have you doing for rehabilitation? Well, <clears throat> you go through the different... At first, he didn't really do nothing but... You have to make sure you get up and walk. Mm. You know, you've got to move around. You can't sort of just lay there. Mm. And you go through a certain exercise. We have the physio come in, give us different strength exercises and different things, making sure you're using your hips and your knees because mm. you've got those muscles to help you. Mm. I thought it was just laying around the knees, but mm. then they explained that you got to get your hips, lift your legs up and all this to get the, um, the muscles around your legs because that's leads up to your, your uh, knees as well mm. you know and uh, it's uh it's very hard it's a hard tactic but all the different things that you de- take for granted mm. all these simple things that all, all help did they have you on heavy pain medication yeah i had i had uh, three lots of pain heavy pain mm. but luckily i've only used the medium one only used i think one of them the heavy one i haven't used at all because I don't like using drugs unnecessarily, mm. you know. Because I reckon you're only killing yourself, making it hard for yourself. If you've got a oh, um, got a bit of headache, take half a dozen aspirin. Mm. You know, it's killing the whole purpose. What did they have you on? Oh, don't ask me. All I know is painkillers. You know, that's mm. it. Strength. You know, which ones are strength and all that. Mm. All I know is I took them and they took the pain away. So I didn't care what they were called. So mm. I sort of did the trick. Yeah, I've got a um. I've got a bit of a quirk when it comes to pain medication just because I think you, it's not helping the situation. Um, for example, pain medication, it doesn't help the area. It blocks pain receptors within your central nervous system. That's why you can't feel it. But And then people go out, and this was actually uh, a very big thing uh, back in the day. You know, if uh, athletes had major injuries or not even a major injury, just an injury that would become one if they didn't stop what they were doing. They'd just, you know, take a whole bunch of pain medication, feel great and then go out. And then they end up blowing their knees out at, or something like that or tearing a muscle. Yeah, but a lot of that falls down to um, stupidity in a way because I knew one bloke, well, I didn't know him, but I heard one bloke had a hip replacement. He's out playing handball again. They said, how are you going to do it? Doesn't know, I can get another one. That was his attitude. Mm. But talking about the pain, when I had some pain, sometimes the, the pain hit you and you would you would shock. You, you'd 
and that can make more problems with your knee mm. because more trouble. With if you have that pain, it helps your legs recover. Because mm. I, I used to get, when I start feeling that pain, I feel that me, me, me legs sort of go like that. Well, I've just had the operation. The last thing I want to do is pull it out, pull the stitches or whatever it out. Mm. And then um, when I have that painkiller, I wouldn't feel it. Mm. So it's here to help you relieve some of that, that sudden pain that you might get. Mm. That's why, you know, I'm no doctor or anything like that, but that's what it worked for me. Mm. So if I didn't take it, I probably might have chopped my leg off. Yeah. Um, that's definitely something I want to get across. Like, uh, I'm, I'm no doctor. I'm no specialist. Mm. This is just what works for me. As you said, it's, yeah. a, it's a very subjective opinion. Uh, there might be... There might be some studies out there where they've uh, done these things and shown positive research. Mm. I'd suggest people go look at that and talk to doctors about it. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say talk to one doctor about it because sometimes I think uh, do- uh, doctor to doctor can be a very yeah. biased You're opinion. Yeah. Um, what, as you know, I used to, I still do hit weights. Uh, not nowhere near as heavy as I used to. I used mm. to lift a lot of heavy weights. I used to be uh, more, like a very much a strength trainer. Um, now look, my body's starting to feel a little bit of the aches and pains from that here and there, but I find what has really taken that away is, um, like, as I said, I take CBD oil every night before I go to bed. Um, that not only helps me get, uh, what do they call it? REM sleep, you know, REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep. Mm -hmm. I I dream every night. I'm in a very deep sleep. My partner's sleeping next to me. She wakes up in the middle of the night sometimes hearing something. And she'll be like, oh, didn't you hear that? I didn't hear a thing. CBD has been shown to uh, take uh, tension away as well. But on top of that, I'm also taking like MSM, uh, collagen and glucosamine, which which helps with uh, osteoarthritis. Not that I've got it, but it helps prevent it. Um, All these things together to help uh, prevent those things, I think is a lot better than taking heavy pain medications because there's no real drastic side effects or addiction to the things that I'm taking. Whereas people who take pain medication, it's shown that they get addicted to it. I know someone who was taking, they uh, injured their back in a car accident. Mm. Um, They did this, I wanna say about 15 years ago and uh, they started taking uh, Panadine Fort and they've been taking it ever since Mm. and, and they're still on it now. And I've tried to suggest to this person maybe try something a bit more, a bit more of a natural remedy. Maybe strengthen your core. Maybe go see a physio. Mm-hmm. Stretch a lot. Uh, all all these more natural side of things, and maybe try and take away panadine fort slowly because panadine fort is such a strong drug. Mm-hmm. It is addictive, but it's not. Yeah. And I, I, every time I suggest something different to this person, this individual, they always say, "No, no, no, I need it." Mm-hmm. It, and, and the way they're saying it, it's like, what do you mean you need it? Like, oh, I just need it. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that's why I said before, you know, I've had the, these three painkillers. One was the general, one was second, and one was the, the strong pain. Yeah. And I wasn't going to touch that strong pain unless I really needed it, mm. you know? Mm. And I just used, as I said, the second one, I think I've only used one of them, mm. if I remember correctly. Mm. The others I've used because they helped me get some sleep and all this, you know, mm. help me get, go through it. But sometimes before I took it, I knew it was coming due. I could feel my legs start to play out. Mm. And when I took the tablet, it went away. Um, obviously, a lot of this uh, 
is due to martial arts and all that, but as you mentioned before, age as well. Yeah. Um, you're 70 now? Yeah, 70. Um, the more you look at time and as time is going on, is there anything that you fear as time is going on? If that makes sense? Well, the only thing I fear is when time runs out. Oh, <laughs> I'm, 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 other than that, no, no, doesn't really fear me. I'm still able to walk around, get around, move around. Mm. And that's the main thing, see, because mm. that's why I stopped training and that, because a couple of times while I was training, I, after the, the hip operation, mm. I'd done a couple of falls. Mm. And I thought, yeah, I haven't got many students come. I don't want to start bunging myself up. We end up being crippled for the rest of my life. Mm. So that's why I stopped, um, stopped training. Have you stopped training completely? No. I just did my own mm. you know, practice out, a bit of weights and a bit, mm. bit, bits of that at mm. home. Yeah, you know, try to get the, the waistline down. Mm. But, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't want to really go through the red because it's very, with, this, with my knee, it's very hard to get up and down. Mm. You know, because mm. even now, if I, if I, sometimes I, I knock me knee, it um it gets very sore. Mm. You know, like it's not like the hip, it takes a lot longer to heal up. Mm. You know, the, the thing. So I was just sort of trying to enjoy myself, look after some of the old videos I used to do. I miss it. I wish I could go and do it, but it's either doing it, end up a cripple, or just be frustrated. So. Yeah, it's that uh that mental. Uh, mm. that the mentality never goes away like I always um because I got an injury in my back my L5s1 mm. isn't the greatest so stuff like uh conventional heavy deadlifts conventional heavy uh, conventional heavy squats are uh, just shouldn't say conventional just heavy squats in general it doesn't feel great on my back mm. um I can do a deadlift if I do uh like a sumo style deadlift my legs are a bit more open so the mm. bars closer to my um my uh my center of gravity and my body's more upright. Mm. Um, there's also hex bar deadlifts where you stand inside. The, it's like a bar. It looks like a like a big uh, hexagon kind of mm. thing. I'm oh, not a hexagon. I'm not too good with my shapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more of an octagon shape. Um, and you stand inside it. Those feel great. Um, conventional deadlifts, not really, just because the bar is so in front of me. Um, puts a lot of pressure on my posterior chain. Uh, squats, you know, either way, the the bar on my back is pushing down on my disc. doesn't feel the greatest, but there's that mentality mm. where if I actually say I get up to you know, 120, 140 kilo squat, which still feels okay, there's my mentality. There's that, always that little voice in the back of my head, like, yeah, keep going, you got this, yeah. if it's a good day. Well, but then I, I always have to correct myself. Like, mm. it, yes, it is a good day. So keep it this way and it'll be a good tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, know, you always get to think of that way because, you know, cause that's where a lot of people come undone. You know, they, they haven't done any for, for a couple of years or that's so I'm going to go for a marathon run. Mm. And like I remember, I used to run around the Flemington race course. Mm. You know how big that is. Yeah. When I ended up shifting out of here and done any run, that the Warrigal Plaza. Mm. I tried running from that. I'd run from one pole to the next pole, then walk the next. Mm. One pole to the other, and then walk the next. Yeah. Because I couldn't do the full thing. Because mm. I hadn't done running. And then I was able to sort of run around up to the cemetery, back to the plaza, and st stuff like this, you know? Mm. But that was uh, years ago. That's why a lot of people, when they say, oh, I've done it 20 years, I'll be right. When they go ballistic and try to try to do it, you know, you start very, very small and, and just you listen to your body. And mm. we'll say, listen to your body. 
but he says, no, that's enough. You've got to, you don't think bloke upstairs, you know, in your mind, he knows the jam, his body goes, and he's still thinking. Mm. It's your, your body pays for it. <laughs> um, people that are starting martial arts today, what advice would you give to them, people that are just starting out? But obviously, you've been doing it a really long time. You've seen people, you've seen hundreds of people start martial arts mm. and they all start different ways and they all have different mentalities. Yeah. What advice would you give people who are starting martial arts now with the experience you have? Well, with the experience, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, this is the best. Well, you just go to the style that you enjoy. You know, go to the instructor you enjoy. If you enjoy that school, you just go along and just take your time. Don't try to, you know, some people, you know, when you try to teach them how to kick, they one, bang, 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 mm. go kick. One at a time, just take a bit, learn to, to feel the kick. You know, it was something I learned from Bruce Lee. Even though I never met the guy, I never seen him because he was dead when I found out what the martial arts was really about. But he said, you've got to feel the kick, you know. you got to get your body, learn to do it slowly. Don't go like, like I've got my grandson. He's learning Taekwondo and that. And we're going through the pattern. He's going ballistic. I said, take your time. Let your body feel you. Muscle memory. Mm. You've got to, got to remember it. Just take your time. Listen. And I had a motto. Remember the motto I had in my school? Don't be afraid to ask dumb questions. It's better than making dumb mistakes. Mm. And that's what it's all about. Ask. Mm. Don't be scared to ask. You might think you're an idiot, but... There's a lot of people sitting there, oh, I'm not going to ask. I don't want to look like an idiot. But you've got to ask what it's all about. Mm. I asked Jack Rosinski one time, he said, with the spear hand, how do you close your hand? He said, practice. I went, yeah, never thought of that. Simple things like that. Mm. You don't realise. Mm. And that's what I say. And that goes with any sport, you know, whether it's martial arts, football, soccer, whatever. Mm. Go what you enjoy, what you, you like doing. The company around, the family thing. And it all depends what you're aiming for. And it's all and it's all about the technique. That's it, the technique. Try to learn the technique, learn how to do it properly, from martial arts to ballet or whatever, you mm. know? You just try to practice it all and, and knuckle down, mm. you know? And you don't just go home and forget about it. You must practice it hard. Mm. It's the only way you're going to do it, you know, and ask. And you do miss it. Oh, yeah, oh, mm. yeah. I miss it big time. Mm. I'd love to be able to get out there and do demonstrations and practice. As nervous as I used to be, but that's why I've done it, to calm your nerves. Mm. So when you go, if you get into, into a real fight, you can sort of handle yourself. Mm. You know, instead of freezing up. So it's nothing worse than someone throwing a kick. And, you know, I remember playing football and see, see the ball come out and say, gee, that looks like you go, bang, dong on the head. Mm. Oh, I should have caught that. Mm. You know? And this is what about getting your reflexes going and stuff like that. Mm. You know? Yeah. And that's, about, that's all I can really suggest for kids who are starting kids or guys and women mm. you know women should really think about it more because they're the ones who really need it more than anyone else i guess i love it when the girls and the women come in but um they get intimidated because they think it's a, a man dominated mm. which uh, i guess they love teaching the women because you know mm. to know that hopefully you're doing something good for them that's a question I want to ask you. Uh, so today, obviously, there's a uh, really big uh, stigma of, uh, not a stigma, but there's a really, especially today, there's a really big acknowledgement of uh, transgenderism. And I've got no problem with that. If people want to be what they want to be, that's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. But what I do have a problem with is when 
a man who's been a man for a really long time mm. decides to be a female and then compete in a female sport like a fighting sport. Yeah. Now, here's my thing. A girl can, or a woman can know, can study martial arts for as long as she wants. Mm. Okay. She, and she could be what, like the top of her, the top of her field. If you take a guy who, let's just say, is only in the middle class of his field, like he's not, like he's nowhere near the top, decides to transition over, the testosterone and the muscle mass that he has mm. or he um, developed over his time being a man and then going to compete in a woman's sport, he's going to obliterate it. And I, I don't get why why there's such a push to allow something like that look i'm i'm all for as i said uh if a man wants to be a woman that's fine but i don't want to see a man transition into a woman and then go fight a woman i i don't with your experience in martial arts you would not you probably not want to see that either yeah but as you said before it's up to the person what they want to do but the question i like to ask you what happens when that woman is out in the street and the guy grabs her and she said, oh, you can't fight me, you're a man. She's done her choice. Mm. So it's a good experience for them girls to learn up to go because girls want to be paid equal. They wouldn't get equal. They've got to learn to go up against the best. This is one thing I feel sorry for the young kids. You have young girls playing with boys, and when they get to a certain age, oh, no, you can't play with the boys anymore. You, you're a girl. Why not? If she wants to go in there and do it, let her have a gun. Look at, look at their drums there, the... The um, AFL, W. Look at the women go. And some of them girls I wouldn't like to take on. They knock the, knock the socks off you. Yeah, I, I do agree with you uh, 100% uh, when it comes to, you know, women playing against women, you know. But let's just say if you took someone like a, a young Buddy Franklin mm-hmm. and he said, oh, I'm a woman now. I'm going to go play in the women's league. <laughs> well, it's just like the North Melbourne former coach who mm-hmm. become a woman now. Mm. On his um, Sunday night, he's going to be on telly. Mm. He was a, he was a man. He was a coach. He was a football player. And there is a woman. Mm. Now is it right for a, for a woman to have a sex change, become a man, and fight in a man's division? Yeah, I look. I think that's a a big difference too. Look, a woman can put herself on testosterone, but the thing she's been a woman for so long mm. that a man who's been on testosterone his whole life and has built a certain amount of muscle mass compared to what she has. Mm. I still think it's a bit different. Now, the one argument I can see is now the girl who's transitioned to a man and she's been on testosterone, where does she fit in terms of sport? Can she go play against the females? Well, she's on testosterone now, probably not. Mm. Can she play against men? But still, yeah, it's a it's it's a very touchy subject. Um, it's a very tough subject actually but what i'm more trying to get at is when a man transitions and even there was when it comes to anything that's physical like for example look if if a man wants to transition to a female and then go compete in i don't know shooting or go and compete into like uh archery different very different you know but if he decides to compete in weightlifting in boxing in ufc or any type of very uh, hands-on physical sport, mm. I just think it's a bit unfair. That's just, look, that's just my opinion. Uh, and, and again, it's a very uh, tough subject. Um, it's not up to for me to decide. This is just my subjective opinion. Yeah, well, everyone's got their own. Yeah. But, yeah, like 
that what was that uh, not last year, year before, the Adelaide Crows had this girl. She she was a big girl. Mm. No one could touch her. Don't you think that's unfair to those smaller girls? But she was the same age. She played in the AFL. It's when if a man becomes a woman, right? But and she she goes through all the criteria that I can't see that no real problem because that's only going to help the girls learn more. That's going to get the girls better. Because I used to love seeing the girls fight up against the, the guys and that, you know? And that's what the girls want. They want this opportunity to do it. Mm. And all right, if a man becomes a girl, wants to do it that way, well, that's good for the girls. That's good for them to learn. As you were talking about before, streetwise, a woman learning to defend herself. That, that's one thing. She has, if a man decides to attack a woman in the street, mm. She has no option but to defend herself. That's a different. Yeah. That's a different uh, kettle of fish in terms of a man deciding to change into a woman and go compete as a woman. Um, what you're saying before about a bigger girl playing with the other that that's still a girl playing amongst girls. Mm. She she her only advantage is genetics. She just mm. happens to be bigger. Yeah. You can't do much about that. Yeah, but. Uh, a, a boy who's grown up into a man, like a full-grown, you know, I should say 90 to 100 kilo man. Mm. And there's pretty much no such thing, uh, pretty much, I want to say, there's probably, you know, a, a 10 percenters out there of girls who are like, you know, six foot, six foot to six foot four, 90 mm. to 100 kilos. There's probably the 10% out there. Um, but men that's where they just are genetically we're just we're just made to be that big that tall that much muscle mass and then putting someone like that into against a woman who's pretty much got no testosterone in her hasn't got anywhere near as much muscle mass Mm -hmm. is you know no taller than five five foot six and she probably weighs no more than 60 50 kilos it to me, it, it's I, I just think it's a very, very unfair when it comes to physical sports. Now, as I said, it's my subjective opinion. I don't, I don't expect people to have the same opinion as me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, um, I, to me, it's uh, it's up to them. They can pass the criteria that they've got to do. Mm. As as I just said, there was that Adelaide Crow girl. Mm. She was a big girl and all that stuff. It's the same thing. You get a big guy going there. They're gonna. Go through, they, they go through the rough and tough. They, I was watching the game last night, you know, Collingwood Carlton. And some of the things the girls were doing there, I can tell you, I wouldn't like to be there. Mm. Well, they threw them down. They, they go through in, in hard. Mm. They get, they're going in just as hard as the men. Mm. They're solid, you know. But you've got to, got to give them a gun. If, if, they, if, if a man becomes a woman and goes, it's, it's, a, it's the way it is. He's mm. now to call that a man. Mm. There was um, on, the, on the telly today, the Batgirl, new Batgirl, they've stopped that. One of the reasons why they think they've stopped it, because one of the girls there used to be a man. Right. Why stop the film? That's what they say in theory. I may not know the true reason, but they've spent over a billion dollars to make this film. Then they're going to throw it in the rubbish bin. Yeah, I'm actually wondering what they're going to do with... Um... Alec Baldwin's uh, is that a film or a TV series? I can't remember if that was a film or not. Where he shot. Yeah, I, I re- that, that was a movie. Yeah, I, I really are. Uh, my heart I don't goes. Think they're going that way. Yeah, my heart goes out to Alec because obviously yeah. he, he didn't mean it. Like who, who would mean like 
especially you know they've got cameras there it's the, well, the thing is I feel, I feel sorry for him they have the the safety officer that sheila is supposed to look after his weapons she should know it doesn't matter how long bolden pulled the trigger or not mm. his thing is blanks mm. he's done movies before he's done where they've shot there's been blanks mm. this what what happened to um brendan lee mm. he got shot by by a real bullet mm. was anything done of that mm. just an accident you know the i'm pretty sure the girl who was in charge of the weaponry um you know testing and loading i'm pretty sure this has uh happened on a set with her before yeah she did have a bit of controversy before mm. why put on alan baldwin he was he was only doing his job whether he pulled the trigger or not mm. it's the shield was in charge of it should have been the one who, who put the bullet do you think they're picking on him because he's you know this big famous actor do you, do you think yeah that's... i think so because when um, brendan lee got shot mm. the, as far as i know there was no big stars the only big star was brendan lee mm. and yet he he got shot by some unknown mm. what's the difference mm. yeah no, yeah no i think that's 100 percent correct uh, mm. but um if if you if you were a younger man today and every every martial arts that you see now, would you would you be doing something different, or would you? How you feel with the martial arts you have done? Would you say you'd still be doing the exact same thing? Well, I, because Taekwondo was one of the fastest growing martial arts when when I first started. Now you've got a lot of different styles. It would have been interesting, you know, the uh, uh, what's that the the, um, the Jewish martial martial arts. Ah, oh, Krav Maga. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, it it was known amongst uh, the. I'm pretty sure it was started because it was meant to be the uh, defense against the German army. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. I'm pretty sure it was a World <coughs> War Two thing. I'm not too sure on the history yeah. of Krav Maga, but I'm like, I want to say I'm like fifty percent sure. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that that would have been a good one to learn because if I was learning something, I wanted to learn something all around. But at that time, we didn't know much about martial arts at all. You mm. know, I probably would have done taekwondo now. I probably would have done learned something else. But uh, at that time, it was it was something that was unknown, and I'd give it a go. And I enjoyed the, as I said before, mm. enjoyed the company of Jack Rosinski who taught me and all the black belts that went through and. Mm other students that and I had a really good time with them mm. you know one thing i really enjoyed uh because i did krav maga uh a couple years after um after, after leaving your dojo after a couple years i started doing krav maga and one thing i really liked there was we did a thing called situational awareness and i think it's such a great form of training what he had he had all, it was like it was this room that was basically a maze and what he'd do is he'd send students in there and you'd be on the outside and you don't know where they are and you just got to walk in there and whatever they come at you with could be a fake knife, could be a fake bat, whatever. Mm. You have to defend yourself and you got yeah. a, literally a split second to mm. defend yourself. And I think that's such a great way of learning a particular mm. martial arts just because it's, it's a split second training and you I think in the streets, that's really what's going to happen. You got a split mm. second reaction. <clears throat> mm. When I, when I used to do grading, 
I used to see people that have set routines out and you have to do a knife attack and that. And I would always have them come at me random. I think I've got you one day who come to Maribyrnong with us mm. <clears throat> to help me with the, with the gravy. Yeah. And I said, you just come at me any which way. Mm. That's the way, because that's the best way to learn. Mm. You, if you have something set, you go bang, it makes it look nice, mm. but it's not really toning your uh, reflexes up. No. That's, that's why I, 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 I've always thought it. You know, I didn't like this business of, Oh, I'm going to come here. I'm going to come there. Mm. I just want you to come in any which way mm. so she can learn how to do it. Because in the street there, they're not going to say, I'm going to come punch you in your left hand. Yeah, no, definitely. That's that's uh, that's something I noticed in a lot of um, uh, old martial arts movies. You see them pull either their right hand or their left hand, but, and it comes all the way back. Mm. And the guy who's defending it, he could go have a cup of coffee, come back, and the guy's still taking a swing, you know. It's, yeah. And they also, I've noticed what they also do is if they're fighting a multiple people, it's always one person at a time. Like one person will come, they defend it, next person comes. But you can see the guy in the back kind of looking at him, waiting. Mm. And that's just not it's just not what it is. It's Yeah, sh- well, that, as you said, it's a mm. They have to do it like they have to do it like so they can see what's coming up. But in reality, hey, mm. you know, the, the point will main hit you with the other hand because mm. they, they want to get you out, uh, you know, they want to surprise you with mm. the attack. They don't want you to know what the heck's going on. Mm. And that's a, that's a thing with it, you know. And the group attack, they're all on you at once. Like if there's a group, if, they, if there's a group of people and just say they're all drunk or whatever, that they're, they're, they're all of them are on top of you. It's, it's well, the, I, I started one myself where we'd have team fighting, mm. there'd be two. Mm. You'd have four people there, you'd have one team there, one team, and you could have to go and fight one another and defend yourself, you mm. know, help, help your mates and all that. Because mm. normally it was all one on one. I can remember training for competitions, Jack would have one in the middle, and then you have one come in, you fight for 30 seconds, then another one to come, another, but you wouldn't know where you because when you're fighting, you don't know exactly where you are, and they come at you, mm. you know. That's good for toning your reflexes and mm. stuff like that. But when you have the four, Two two teams that you got you got a your mate there you got to help him and look after him you got the others to to defend mm. so that that brought another aspect into it. Mm. So what uh what grading did you end up or what belt did you end up getting up to in all three martial arts that you were doing? In Taekwondo I was at sixteen, mm-hmm. in Hapkido I was at fifteen, mm. and Arnie's at the second year. Second year. Mm. Does it um is that something that kind of Especially now that you're retired, that you won't be able to progress further because obviously there would have been that, you know, hunger inside you where you're like, yeah, I feel like I can get my next one. I can get my. Yeah, I would have loved to, but mm. as I said, you know, I had a choice of going for me, uh, you know, the seventh dan and sixth dan that, or end up being a cripple. Mm. So I, I decided to pull the pin and you know, stop doing it. You mm. know. Just for, so I can move around. Mm. I want to be able to get on the trains and get off and things without having to go with wheelchairs and mm. stuff. Because I feel sorry for them, them poor buggers who've got to go around in wheelchairs and crutches all the time, you know. Because mm. it's not very nice, mm. you know. And I'm, I'm glad that the, the government's going around and making it more accessible for uh, people who are in wheelchairs to get on and off now, mm. you know. That's what it was years ago. Mm. Well, um, I'd like to thank you for joining me on my podcast uh my podcast is called the 3d session 
uh, the 3D stands for Daily Dose of Dale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd like to thank you for joining me here today. It's been yeah. uh, really good catching up with you again. It's been uh, quite some time. And yeah. um, hopefully anyone that's listening to this has taken something out of it. If, if not, I hope they've enjoyed listening to it because yeah. I've enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, nice mm-hmm. I'm glad you invited me in. Glad to catch up with you. I just hope I help people, you know, get a good start in life and help I help them. And I think on that, that is a good life message and we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Ken. Right. Thanks a lot.